That was last week. Man, these are really that. Yeah, you can clap for that. And turn me down a little bit, Jen, if you will. That was last week at, uh, at Journey Church International. We have baptisms at the end of the day. And man, it was just awesome. All of you who got baptized, congratulations. And those of you who have not been baptized yet, it's kind of as simple as that. If you, if you look, we read kind of a one-paragraph uh, story of yours. This is how you became a Christian, and you want people to know you're a Christian now. Uh, and it was a really, really cool deal. So those of you who were baptized last week, we're proud of you. Way to go. And thanks for being the first class to ever be baptized at our church. We hope to baptize hundreds, if not thousands, uh, in our church's future. You know, this, uh, this weekend we have a big weekend coming up. We have our women's retreat. You know, if the baptisms were a huge event... In the history of our church, a big first. Uh, Our women's retreat is a huge event, a huge first uh, in the history of our church. And if you're signed up to go, uh, I want to tell you, you're going to have a great, great time. Ladies, if you're not signed up, you can still sign up. And I would encourage you, it's going to be one of the best weekends of your year. Ladies, I know y'all, if you're like my wife, I know you need a night off. I know you need a day off. Uh, I know you just need to relax and have some fun with other women. You know, I, I'm not much of a women's ministry guy, but, but this week I, I, had a, uh, I had an interesting thing happen. Uh, on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I, I try to fill my day with just ministering to, to people. And I'll start meeting people at breakfast and I'll go all day long just ministering to moms and dads and marriages and teenagers and, and whatever, how, however I can help ministering to people I minister. And I had kind of a, a wedge out of my day where I've been going all, all morning and I had meetings in the afternoon. And I was just kind of fried and, and burnt mentally. And I had time to get lunch before I headed back to where I was going. So I called Danielle to see what she was doing. And she was actually uh, having kind of a, a girl's day with, with one of her best friends who, who goes to our church. And she said, well, you know, we're, we're kind of eating lunch. And, like, you're not invited. You know, this is a girl's thing and you're not invited. And I said, what, what do you mean I'm not invited? I mean, i got to eat lunch. And, you know, I, I don't want to eat lunch by myself. And she says, well, you can, you can call Leslie, who's the redhead who sings up here. Leslie was in my youth ministry as a sophomore in high school. She and Danielle have been best friends for about 15 years. So I called Leslie. I said, Leslie, and, and kind of relayed the same story and tried to get her to invite me to lunch. And she finally, you know, she called. My first name is Gary, uh, which is my dad's name, Gary Christian Newsom. She's the only person in the world who calls me Gare. Um, so she said, Gary, you can come. You, you can come to our girls' lunch. But you need to know this is a girls' lunch and you can't sabotage it. And I said, that's fine. I just don't want to eat by myself. So... We met and, and we started talking, and I'd never been to a girls' lunch. Um, and and they are, um, they're they're quite healing. We shared our feelings. Um, you know, we we just we just talked to one another about things going on in our life. Um, and and it was you know it was really therapeutic. I, at the end of it, I said, you know, I think I'm going to join a women's group because this this has been. Men don't do this. Men don't even care about each other. We'll talk about football, but we'll never share our feelings with what's going on. So for those of you ladies who are, you know, next Wednesday we're going to go get a manicure together. I'm just kidding. I'm not, not going there. Um, but those of you who are going this weekend, you're going to have a blast. And you're going to come home Saturday so rejuvenated. And listen, if you don't think you have time, you, you probably are the one who really needs to go. You need to make time because you'll be better the rest of November and December if you take this 48-hour window out and go, you can still sign up at the end of the service. And ladies, I just encourage you to, whether you're college age or whether you're a, a, a grandmother of a dozen, this would be a great weekend for you to go and get ministered to. Today we begin a brand new series at our church called I Serve. And before we jump into this series, there, there are three texts in Scripture, uh, three statements of Jesus, three teachings of Jesus, three, uh, they're not entire sermons, today's is, but not all three of them all, uh, that, are, that are declared great 
Uh, and they're things that every Christian should know. If you have your little sermon outline that we handed you when, when you came in today, you should grab that, you should grab a pen, and you should write these down. These will not be on the outline. Well, maybe they are on the outline. Uh, but you should see there, there are three things that Jesus said that are described as great in the New Testament. The first is called the Great Commandment. Uh, and and a, a, a basically, a person came up to Jesus one time and said, what's the most important religious rule that there is? In youth ministry, you get this question all the time. Hey, what rules should we keep? Well, someone came up to Jesus and said, what's the most important thing for me to know spiritually? Uh, and Jesus answered that question in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. We call that the great Commandment. It actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, but Jesus quoted it in Matthew 22. What's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God basically with everything you have. That's the great commandment. Love God with everything you have. Jesus also gave what's called a, a great commission. Uh, and he told his disciples after he had been crucified, buried, resurrected, right as he was getting ready to lead them, he said, I've told you what the most important thing for you is in your relationship with God. Love God. But the most important thing for you to do as a Christian, the Great Commission, is to love people. The Great Commission is love people. And how do you love them? Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we see the Great Commission, Jesus' last words to his disciples. He said, you need to go and make disciples of all nations. You need to help people do what you have done. You need to help people know God like you know God, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So two statements of Jesus that if, if you've been in church at any part of life, your kids who are in our kids ministry, kids who are in church, kids who are in middle school ministry, kids who go through student ministry, learn these two verses because they're great. The great commandment, the great commission. A lot of you even know, even if you've not been churched your whole life, the golden rule, which comes right after the great commandment. Jesus says, love God. This is the way you need to love God. But then he said, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as Yourself. That's called the, the golden rule. You need to love other people uh, the same way that, that you would love yourself. Treat people like you want to be treated. But there's a third text in Scripture that, that for some reason has been passed over in Christianity the last 25 to 50 years in terms of it being taught as something that was great. It's not taught alongside the great commandment. It's not taught alongside the great commission. But as you read it through Scripture, it's one of Jesus' greatest teachings, and it's one of his most important teachings, and we call it in Scripture the great compassion. If I ask you to, from a multiple choice to choose, uh, you know, hey, what's the great commandment? Most of you could pick out the great commandment if you've been around church at all. If I ask you to choose what's the great commission, most of you could pick out of a lineup what the great commission is. But if I said, what's the great compassion? Most people, even folks like me who, who grew up in, lot, in church all their life, most people say, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with that term. I'm not familiar with that text. I'm not really sure what the great compassion is. And the great compassion defined real simply in Scripture is helping people in need. And Jesus, right along with saying you need to love God, right along with saying you need to go help people spiritually, Jesus said one of the most important things you can do as a Christian is learn how to help people in need. And what we're going to do today is we're going to study this great compassion because it's more than a verse. 
It's more than two verses. It's more than a statement. It's actually a sermon of Jesus. And if you have your Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 25 today. That's where we'll pick up this great compassion. Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have your Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisles and they're, they're going to put a Bible in your hand. If you forgot one, if you need one, just wave at them so that you can follow along. And we're going to read a lot of Bible texts today. So it might be good to have one in your hand. If you don't have one, keep it. Um, if, if you do have one, give it back at the end of the service. But we always want you to, to be able to, to have a Bible if you want. And what we find as we get into Matthew chapter 25, we find a teaching of Jesus that uh, is not debatable. We find a teaching of Jesus that, uh, that's not for one denomination, that's not for uh, you know, a, a certain type of faith. We, we find a teaching of Jesus that is so clear uh, that it, it reminds me of this. How, how many of you have seen A Few Good Men? You know the movie with, with, that's where Tom Cruise is a lawyer and Jack Nicholson is, you know, the Marine. It, it's a tremendous movie. And remember, every time I mention a movie, that does not mean go watch it. I can't remember everything I watched before I got really close to God. But there's a moment in that movie, probably the greatest moment is when Jack Nicholson yells at Tom Cruise that he can't handle the truth. But there's a moment in that movie where, where Tom Cruise asks Jack Nicholson if he's making himself clear. And do you remember the answer that Jack Nicholson gives back to him? Crystal crystal clear you couldn't be any clearer i get what you're trying to say jesus could not be any clearer in matthew 25 about the way that christians are supposed to live their lives so as we look at matthew 25 today i'm going to give each point the point of something that is crystal clear because jesus could not be any clearer about how christians are supposed to live their life helping hurting people and the first thing we see is we're going to enter this text and we'll read it as we go since it's so long is we see what I call a crystal clear scene. We're able to set the scene and know exactly what's going on, exactly what's being discussed, exactly how important this discussion is. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, the scene is set, and it says this. Jesus says, When the Son of Man, that's Him, comes in His glory, and all the angels are with Him, He'll sit on His throne in heavenly glory. Now I want to stop right there so that you can understand the scene. Jesus is talking here about the end times. The very end of times. You know, this is a this is a popular discussion, right? Especially as we near the year 2012 and we have all those crackpots making statements about Jesus is going to come back on this day and okay, I missed that one, so he's going to come back on this day and now we've missed that one, so you know, maybe we'll make another one up. We like to talk about the end times and and we'd be very wise to try to know what happens in the end times. And here we have a crystal clear scene. Jesus says in the end times. It's going to be like this. At the end of the ages, when the world is over and we're almost prepared to start eternity. In the end times, this is what it's like. Now, how do we know from more than this statement that we're talking about the end times? Well, there's a tremendous lead-in to this text in Matthew chapter 25. It starts in Matthew 24, 3. And in Matthew 24, verse 3, we have a question. And the question is this. And if you know the book of Matthew very well, the book of Matthew ends at chapter 28... Jesus gets crucified, buried, and all that stuff in Matthew 26, 7. So we're at the very end of his ministry. And the disciples ask him this question. Matthew 25 is still part of the answer to this question. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and they said, Tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Hey, that's a pretty important question to ask Jesus, right? I mean, if Jesus came here today and you could ask him one question, this would be a good question to ask him. When 
When will we know that the end is near? What will be signs to us that show us that the world is coming to an end? That's the question that they're asking Jesus here. And he takes all of Matthew chapter 24 and all of Matthew chapter 25 to answer it. This is his longest ministry discourse. It's called the Olivet Discourse, if you studied in theology. This is the longest teaching that Jesus ever has, this teaching on the end times. And Jesus, I'm not going to read all of Matthew 24 and 25. It would take us weeks to really study through that. But Jesus said, you know, the questions, hey, when will the end come? Jesus says, no one knows that, not even me right now. It's not been revealed to me. Only God knows that. But he said, here's three things you can do to get ready for the end. He said, first, in Matthew 24, 44, he said, you need to be ready. Because you don't know when it is, you always need to be ready. So he says in Matthew 24, 44, you, you must be ready because the Son of Man's going to come in an hour when you don't expect him. So Jesus said, I can't tell you everything about the end times, but you need to know that you'll want to be ready when it comes. Secondly, Jesus says, you, you want to make sure that you work diligently. So that when it comes, you're going to be rewarded for the life that you lived. And he continues in verses 45 and 46. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master is going to put in charge of his servants and his household and give to them their food at the proper time? It's going to be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. It's going to be good for the Christian who's working diligently spiritually when Jesus comes back. Can't tell you when it is, but I can tell you who it will be really good for. People who are working diligently on their faith. And then he says this, you need to make sure, as you look at the end times and you think about it, you question, you need to make sure that you're spiritually aware that it is a reality. And either the end is going to come or your end is going to come. At some point, your life is going to end one way or another. And you need to be spiritually aware of your mortality, that, that this life is not all there is. There's another life. And even if you're not ready for the end, you need to be ready for your end. So he says in Matthew 25:13, therefore, keep watch. Because you don't know the day or the hour. Be, be aware. Know that this life will end and that the life we live now counts for eternity. You need to know that. So the question, when is the end going to happen? So Jesus said, I don't know the exact time it's going to happen. But I can tell you, here's how you need to get ready for the end. And then after these things, he told a story about people who were not ready for the end. In your Bible, it's probably listed like it is in mine. In Matthew chapter uh, 25 is the parable of the talents. He said, here's some people who weren't ready for the end. Here's people who wasted opportunity. Here's people who wasted resources. Here's people who wasted chances. And the parable of the talents tells us a story about those who tried to work hard for God and those who could care less and how they were judged at the end time. But he gets to verse 31 and he said, here's what you need to know. When that time comes, here is the scene. And he sets the scene for us. The scene is, number two, he said, you need to understand at the end time, there's going to be a crystal clear separation. Jesus is going to distinguish one type of people from another type of people in the end times. So it says who? Jesus. Where? Matthew chapter 25. We'll, uh, we'll read verses 32 and 33. Start in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne in heavenly glory. So we're at the end times now. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate. If you, if you have your Bible, you should underline that word or circle that word or highlight it because this is, this is the Bible's word, not mine. I'm not trying to make a distinction. I'm just reading what the text says. He'll separate the people, one person from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put his sheep on the right, and he'll put the goats 
on the left. Now, now here's what's really interesting, what he's getting ready to tell us. Jesus said at the end times, crystal clear scene, this is the end times. He said there'll be a clear separation. And he said it'll be like a shepherd separating sheep from goats. We will not all turn into a sheep or a goat in the end times. He says it'll be like that. It'll be real clear. The, these people won't be anything like each other. They'll look different. They'll sound different. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll probably smell different. I mean, these, these are going to be different types of people. And one group he's going to put on his right and one group he's going to put on his left. Now, right and left, 2,000 years ago, in, in places of, 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 uh, of biblical direction, the right was always the position of favor. So he says there's going to be a group at the end times who are favored, looked at with favor by God, and they'll be put on his right. He calls them sheep. We won't all turn into sheep. They're going to be put on his right and separated because God is going to favor them because of how they've lived their life. And he said there's going to be a group, we'll we'll call them goats, who go on his left. And the place of the left is the place of dishonor. You know, if, if you and I would ever enter this ancient Near Eastern culture, if we would ever go into the Middle East that acts very much like, uh, like they acted in biblical times and we were called in to see a king or a prince of a country and he brought us in, if they had to stand on his left side, we're in trouble. That's not the right place to, to be put when you see a king. That's the place of dishonor and usually that's the place of punishment. If a king would invite us in over in some Middle Eastern country and he would have a stand on his right side, you're probably really getting ready to be blessed. Because the king has decided to show favor to you for what you've done. So Jesus said, at the end time, there's going to be a clear separation. All the people are going to come. Everyone who's ever lived is going to come. All the nations, he calls them. And Jesus will separate the people to those he shows favor on and those who are going to be dishonored by him. And then he begins to give the list of who's on the right and who's on the left. Now I'll be really honest with you. You know, I went to Bible college from 1996 to 1999 and graduated with my bachelor's degree in religion. And then a few years later, I went back and I got a seminary degree, a master of arts and religion. And then a few years later, I went back and I got a second seminary degree, a master's of divinity. So I've got about 210 hours of Bible credit that's hanging on my wall. I mean, I've done a lot of Bible classes. Nowhere in those 210 hours was I ever taught what's coming next. I've been in church my entire life. I mean, my entire life. You hear people who, who come to faith in Christ and God saved them out of a drug problem. The only drug problem that I had is I got dragged to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, kicking and screaming. I mean, I've, I've been in church probably more than anyone in this room. And in 30 plus years of church, nobody ever told me what I'm getting ready to read to you. And a few years ago, I was reading through Matthew chapter 25, and for the first time in my life, you know, a lot of times I'll read my Bible, and I'll read it and check off that I've read that day, but every now and then I'll stop and I'll actually put myself in the text. And I did that, and I began to read about the separation of right and left, sheep and goats. And it appeared to me as I read this about two and a half years ago, oh my gosh, I'm on the wrong side. I looked at the list, the, the, the very clear separation, and the very clear, number three is going to be standard, the very clear, the crystal clear standard. And I thought, I've been a Christian almost my entire life. I've got more degrees than a thermometer. You know, I, I've been in church more, more times than I care to even remember. And I don't do what Jesus says is important. As a matter of fact, I don't even think about doing 
what Jesus says here in Matthew 25 is important. Nobody's ever taught me that I'm supposed to do these things. No one has ever showed me how serious Jesus is about these things. And I, I really began to struggle in my own heart with what, what have I been doing? What have I been taught? And how come no one has ever shown me what the Bible says here in Matthew chapter 25 about the things that distinguish Christians and bring favor on their life? How come no one's told me? And for about six months, I got really angry. And then as we began to plan this church, we said, you know what? We can complain about what we've never been taught or we can do it different. And we can teach our church what the Bible says in Matthew 25 and show them what Jesus says is important. The standard he sets for this end times recognition of, you know, who, who's with me and who's not. So I want to read you this, this crystal clear standard in verses 34 through all the way through verse 46. And guess what? If, if you hear this today and you think, man, I don't do any of these things, you're not alone. But we need to change that moving forward. Verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, those who are favored, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, fire prepared for the devil and for his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he'll reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, I don't know if that grabs you like it grabs me, but two and a half years ago, I read over that. And then I stopped and I read over it again. And then I stopped and I read over it again. And here's the, here's the question that I ask. Is he serious? Like, does Jesus really mean that? Because if he really means that, then I'm not living my life the way that I'm supposed to be living it. And I'm not trying to teach your uh, salvation theology. I'm not saying you, you can't, that, that doing these things saves you from your sins. But what Jesus is clearly saying here is that Christians live their life this way. I'm talking about Christian living, not salvation theology. This is not the way you get saved, but this is the way you live if you are saved according to the Bible. These things don't have the power to forgive you, but they're things you care deeply about once you've been forgiven according to the Bible. And what's really interesting is that Jesus desires for us. You know, we, we like to think of our faith as private and as intimate and as personal, but Jesus desires that you and I have actions that prove our faith so that God will be glorified and people will know who God is. We look at John, John chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus is in, in the context of John chapter 15. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to go be crucified. And he's teaching his disciples a last few final instructions. And he says, I want you to know by this my Father is glorified. 
that you bear much fruit and prove yourselves to be my disciples. This makes God happy when you go and live like a Christian and everyone knows you're a Christian. It makes God happy. It's the same thing that we read in James 2.18 several weeks ago as we studied through the book of James. James says in 2.18, someone will ask you of faith and, and I have works. Show me your faith, James says, apart from your works. You can't. You can tell me you have faith, but you can't show me your faith. He said, I can show you my faith by what I do, by the way that I care about people, by the way that I love people. And I'll be, I'll be very, very honest with you. You know, I don't know where everyone falls in their faith, but it is very easy to see people who care about hurting people. I don't know where Oprah is in her faith. I mean, if you listen to her, she kind of worships herself, you know, which I guess is cool. But I know this, she cares about hurting people. Look at what she's doing all over the world. I don't know where Bono, the lead singer of U2, stands in his faith. I, I don't. He doesn't talk much about it. But I know he really cares about hurting people. You know, I, I don't know where Madonna and Angelina Jolie and, and UNICEF, I don't know where these people stand in their faith. And most of them don't stand anywhere in their faith. But I know they really love hurting people. And then we have everyone who will tell you where they stand in their faith and tell you what a good Christian they are and tell you what a good Republican they are, and tell you how wrong the whole world is. But you watched our life, and they, they don't really seem to care about anyone who's hurting. And Jesus said, that's a problem. And man, Jesus spoke to me several years ago when I read this. He said, Christian, that, that's a problem. Because Christians should be concerned about six things according to this text here. And I, I want to be honest, I, I've been ministering to church for ten years, and I, I not only didn't do these, I didn't lead anyone to do these. What are they? Six Christian concerns. Jesus said, if somebody's hungry, you need to worry about feeding them. Christians will feed the hungry. Jesus said, Christians will find people who are thirsty and they'll quench that thirst. Christians will welcome the stranger. I was a stranger and you invited me in. You know, I don't know when the church quit inviting strangers in, but I know that it's happened. And, you know, I don't know who the strangers are in this community, but for some denominations, you know, if you're divorced, you're a stranger. If you're an addict, you're a stranger. If you're a homosexual, you're a stranger. And there are some churches you're not welcome in. You're a stranger. And I think Jesus looks at these churches and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Christians find strangers and they invite them in. They try to connect them to me, and then they let me change what needs to be changed. There's not a list at the door that says, you know, hey, if you don't fall by these guidelines, you're not welcome. Man, the church should be open to everyone. And the church has begun to send subtle signs that if you're not like us, you're not welcome. If you're not like us, then you're, you're a stranger, and no strangers allowed. Man, I wish every Sunday somebody would sit by someone they don't know because so many strangers feel welcome in this place. He said a church should not just be for, for members. A church is not a country club. A church is come one, come all. Anyone can come. You were a stranger? Come on in, stranger. Jesus said that Christians will clothe the naked. They'll find people who, who don't have clothes and they'll, they'll try to clothe them. James said the same thing in James chapter 2. Jesus said Christians are those who care for the sick. You know how the world was converted to Christianity? I, I mean on a governmental basis in the year AD 320 or so. I mean the official beginning of the Roman Catholic Church that, that we know now. 
You know, for the first 300 years of Christianity, the, the Romans persecuted Christianity. But between about 180 A.D. and 300 A.D., if, if you've studied your history, the plague came about in Eastern Europe. And people were dying by the tens of thousands by the plague. And the thought was, if you get the plague, you can't be healed, you're going to die. It simply was a fever that, you know, a lot of it could have been helped, a lot of it could have been healed. But they thought, if you get the plague, you'll die. So what happened in all these Roman colonies across the world, if somebody would get the plague, one person would get the plague in, in a town or a city, literally everyone would pack up and just leave them there to die, except for the Christians. And the Christians would stay and help them. Christian men were the only people in the Roman Empire that loved their wives. Roman historians wrote that the one distinction that Christian men had is they treated women with respect. I wish that was the testimony of all the churches today, but it's not in all of them. Christian men were some of the few people, Christian families were some of the few people, according to Roman secular historians, who treated their slaves, their servants, with respect. And the Roman world looked at these Christians and they said, when people are sick and dying, they don't leave. They hang in. When women are looked down on in society, they respect them. When servants are seen as property, their Christian masters love them. And eventually it worked their way up to maybe we should all be Christians. And it was a government mandate for a little while that everyone had to be a Christian. And that, that didn't work so well. But it was a recognition that Christians cared. Maybe we should all be Christians. Christians should care for the sick. Christians should visit those in prison, according to Jesus. These are not my standards. These are Jesus' standards. Jesus' very clear standards in Matthew chapter 25. And I'll be honest, this was not a list that I was ever told was important. This was not a list that I was ever told was relevant. This was not a list that was even supposed to be my concern. Somebody else was supposed to do these things. The list that I was given, and I mean, I, I, maybe I was just at the wrong place, but the list I heard over and over and over again is that one day Jesus is going to separate the people from, uh, you know, on the right and the left, and the group on his right, he's going to say, if you raised your hand and said a prayer, you're on the right. If you got baptized, you're on the right. If you tithe 10% of your money, you're on the right. If you served in church, you're on the right. And I, if you read your Bible, you're on the right. If you quit sinning, you're on the right. So I, I've made that my list. I, God, I, I'll do all those things so that I can have your favor. And then I read this, and Jesus doesn't say anything about those things. Now, those are all incredibly important. But that's not what makes you stand out as a follower of Jesus. That might make you stand out in church, but there's a lot of people outside the church that need to know what a real Christian is. All right, We all know what that is. We need to start living our life outside. So Jesus said, these things are, are important. And I hear pastors saying, oh, you know, that, that's just not our generation. Listen, Jesus didn't say this is for some generations but not for others. So, well, that, you know, that's not our mission. Well, if you're a Christian, it has to be your mission. Well, you know, if we just had a little more of this or a little more of that, you know, that's not really the heart of our church. Well, that's probably a problem, according to Matthew 25. If it's not the heart of your church to help people... Because Jesus said that's, that's one of the most important things. You know, when you look at, at Jesus' first sermon that he ever pulled out, he came and he opened a scroll from the book of Isaiah. He said, here's who I am. He said, I've come to set the captives free, come to heal the sick, come to minister to those who are hurting. One of the first things Jesus said about himself is, I'm here to help hurting people. When John the Baptist began to wonder if Jesus was really the Messiah or just some crackpot that, you know, maybe wasn't the Messiah, he sent his disciples. John the Baptist is in prison. And he said, go ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah or should we look for someone else? John the Baptist even had doubts. Remember what Jesus told him? 
He said, go tell John that the blind can see and that the, the sick are being healed and that the poor are being fed and clothed. Go tell John I'm helping hurting people and to trust in what I'm doing. And now we look at churches and, you know, I'll be honest, I was involved in church my entire life without a desire or even a challenge to go help hurting people. And according to Matthew chapter 25, that, you know, that's not good. And you know what? These are not activities. You know, we, we don't have activities in our church of let's come to church on Sunday and let's go serve on Saturday. The, these are like things that you should care deeply about in your heart. These, these are concerns that you should have. You say, what's the difference between an activity and a concern? Here, here, here's the difference, to my own shame. You know, when Danielle and I decided that we were going to leave where we were and sell our house and move over here and begin to, to, to start a church, you know, God really spoke to me. He said, Christian, you can't lead people to do what, what you're not doing. And I'm glad you're passionate about this now to preach it, but you need to start doing it. And I got real convicted that every time I saw someone that, you know, needed some money or something that I, that I should help them. So, you know, I got in this habit of every time I pass someone on the street, I give them a dollar here or there. And, you know, it became an activity to me. And we were driving downtown. Anytime the Newsom family celebrates anything, we go to P.F. Chang's. You know, I, I love P.F. Chang's. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you need to go. It's, it's really great Chinese food. And we're on the way downtown to P.F. Chang's. And right as you exit on 71 onto Emanuel Cleaver Boulevard, there's a place there, if you've ever exited, where there are always people standing and begging with their signs that they need something. If you've ever been there, you know, I mean, they're there every day, all day. And as we drove up to this person, I saw him, and I asked Danielle, I said, you got any money? And as I'm pulling up to this stoplight, turn around, she hands me a five, and I look back at her, and I said, do you have any ones? And you know what God said to me? He said, you're a jerk. Man, you're a jerk. You, you're trying to make yourself feel real good by giving this guy a few dollars. But Jesus said, he said, you saw these people and you treated them as if it was me. Christian, would you be asking Jesus to give you change for your five if he was standing on the corner? You're going to pay more than that to valet your car. You're a jerk. It's not about activities. It's about concern. I want you to really care about hurting people and live your life to make a difference. You know, a lot of us... We'll give out a little bit, but we don't really care. It doesn't keep us up. We don't think about it. We're not engaged in it. It's not a big deal. And Jesus said it should be a big deal. Because when you care about something, you, you help it, right? I mean, if you care about people, you make sure that they're taken care of. You know, I've got a, a dog. And I think I've actually got a picture of my dog that you can see. This is Rudy. It's kind of a, a fuzzy picture. And he's kind of a crazy dog. But we, we've got a little dog. And as I'm reading through this book, you know, we love our dog, but he's a dog. Right? I mean, he, he's an animal. Walks on four legs and doesn't speak, and he's really stupid. He runs away if he's not on his chain. But, but we love him. He's our dog. And you know what I thought? When my dog is hungry, I feed my dog. And when Rudy is thirsty, we, when, we give him something to drink. And, you know, when it's cold outside and he's scratching at the door, we let him in. And, and you know, Rudy actually, he almost went to prison one time, doggy prison. Um, he, you know, he was accused of biting a girl and he didn't end up doing it. But I, you know, I, I tried to figure out how to hide him from the dog police. Cause you know, I, I cared about my dog, you know, they came and they were taking his picture and you know, they were going to take him to dog jail for a week. And I was telling Danielle, you know, what are, what are we going to do? We can't, you know, we can't send Rudy to jail. Do you know what happens in jail to dogs? I mean, you know, we can't send Rudy to jail, you know, and I'm holding him and the dog takes his picture. And I was like, you know, what are, what are we going to do? Should we hide him? Should we not hide him? And the guy had to go back out to his truck and Daniel says, let's just take him to your mom and dad's. 
And I said, you know, they live eight hours away. I think they'll notice if we drive to Chicago to hide Rudy for a few days. And he didn't have to end up going to jail. But I, I mean, I cared enough about him that I wanted to make sure he didn't go to jail. The other day, Rudy came downstairs and he was actually dressed like this. Go to the next slide. We actually clothe our dog every now and then. My son had dressed him up in one of his little football shorts and a pair of boxers that he turned backwards so his tail would fit through him. And Rudy just comes pouncing his office. I'm thinking, you know, we dress our dog. We treat our pets better than we treat hurting people. They're hungry, we feed them. They're thirsty, we give them water. They need some clothes, we put clothes on them. They get in trouble, we try to break them out of dog jail. I mean, we treat our pets better than we treat hurting people. That's not right. And for most of us, we've, just, we've never been told how important it is. But Jesus says here, I mean, it's, it's crystal clear, right? This is important for me. You know, these are, to me, are non-negotiables for every Christian and for every church. You know, you, you've heard me say, and I, I mean this sincerely, that if this is not the right church for you, we'll help you find another church. And we, I mean, we, all, we sincerely hope that, you, that this church feels like home to you. But it's not for everyone. I, you know, two of the people that I baptized last week called me last Saturday night. And the guy, he calls me pastor. He said, Pastor, he said, man, it's just too far to come to your church. It's, it's more than an hour one way. And he said, we, we're going to get baptized tomorrow, but we're not going to come back. Will you help us find a church where we live? And I spent 30 minutes with him on the Internet going over churches that he could go to. Because if this isn't the church for you, we, we want to help you find the perfect church. But I, I promise you, I will not send him to a church that does not say these things are important. And you know what? These metal chairs may get old, and meeting in a gym may get old for you. And your best friend might start going to another church, and you might start going with them. You know, the music here, you know, I know sometimes it's incredibly loud. Uh, you know, we have people tell us that all the time. It's in a gym. Sometimes it's soft. Sometimes this is not the great place, best place to have sound. We're actually next week we'll have a bucket of earplugs. I mean this sincerely. I called some of my friends who meet in schools and I said, how do you control the sound? They said, we give out earplugs. They said some people will put in earplugs for the music and some people wait till the music's over and then they'll put them in for the message because they don't want to hear what you have to say. But they say, you know, just hand out earplugs because sometimes it's really loud and sometimes it's hard to control sound in a gym. And if, if you get to the point where you say, man, we love what you're doing, but we need to find another church, will you help us? Our answer is yes, but we're going to send you to a church that cares about people this way because the Bible says what's important for you as a Christian, great commandment, is that you really love God. Great commission, that you love people enough to tell them about who Jesus is in your life. Great compassion, that you, you figure out a way to take care of hurting people. And I love what Mother Teresa said. You know, maybe someone who's done more to help hurting people than anyone. They said, you know, what, what do you do about all the people you can't help? How do you sleep at night knowing that there are millions, billions of people that you can't help? And she said, I can't help everyone, but I can help one. I can't help everyone. But I can help one. And our church cannot solve the world's problem. But, but we can do what we can do. And we're just beginning this month not to have activities, but begin to begin to set a culture in our church that we care about hurting people. We're going to find hungry people and we're going to feed them just like they're Jesus. We're going to, we're going to find people without water. The ne- next week is, is our I Serve the World Week. And the founder and the president of the Invisible uh, Girl Project, the ministry we support in India, is here. She's going to be telling us all about the ministries in India. One of the things we're able to provide for people in India is fresh drinking water because they don't have it. We're going to find people who don't have clothes, and man, we're going to collect truckloads full of clothes, and we're going to give them away. 
we're, we're going to figure out a way to develop a prison ministry and we're going to go sit with men and women in detention centers and just say, man, God loves you. And when you get out of here, you have a second chance. Why? Because Jesus says it's important. So it's really important. And if you want to be on the right side and if you want to have his favor, it's important that you do that. We're going to find strangers and we're going to invite them in. And man, that may mean we have just some of the craziest people come into our church. But you know what? We're just going to introduce them to Jesus and let him figure out all the things going on in their life. We can't change people, but he can. So we're just going to love them and, and let Jesus do his thing with them. You know, I don't know if you're hurting today, but if you're hurting today, maybe your marriage is hurting today, maybe your kids are hurting today, maybe your finances are hurting today, maybe your emotions are hurting today. You know, the first thing that you need to do as a hurting piece and a person is just cry out to God and say, God, I, I need your help. Will you help me? So let's, as we close in prayer today, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, as, as we reflect on what the Bible so clearly says, I mean, this, is not, this passage is not debatable. You'd have to rip several pages out of your Bible to not have to do this as a Christian. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I want to just really clearly say to you today, if you're a Christian, God has saved you and changed you so that you can help hurting people. It's just that clear. And he wants you to do that. And if you truly, if your heart beats for God, you will do that. You may not be able to help everyone, but you can help somebody. We're going to try to do that as a church. But if you're here today and you're hurting, maybe you've been wrestling with your faith. Maybe you, come, you came today and you've needed to reconnect with God or to connect for the first time. Maybe your marriage is really in trouble. Or your, your kids, you don't know if your teenagers are going to make it if something doesn't change or you've just lost your job, or you're getting ready to, drowning in debt. If you're a hurting person today, you need to pray. You need to ask God to help you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed today, if you're hurting today, I just want to give you the opportunity right now to just talk to God. You don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to move your lips. But in your heart, just tell God what hurts and ask Him to help, and He will. Just be really honest with Him. And as you're praying today, the, the greatest wound that can ever be filled. I had someone say this last week in their testimony I read. She said, she said I had a God-sized hole in my heart. I tried to fill it with everything but Him. And man, when I finally invited God to be the God of my life and asked Jesus to fill my sins, my life changed and I felt whole. If you're here today and you've never made peace with God. You've never become a Christian. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to give you eternal life, to help you start over in life. You can do that today. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around, but God today is looking at your heart. And if you have a hole in your heart that only He can fill, then I want you to pray this prayer right where you are. I'll lead you. You can just repeat it. You don't have to say it out loud, but just pray it in your heart today if you need God to step in to avoid in your life. Dear God, I need you in my life. And today by faith, I invite Jesus who came and lived 2,000 years ago, who died on a cross, and who raised from the dead. I invite Jesus to forgive me of my sin, to come into my life, to save me for eternity, and to change me for the rest of my life. God, today, 
I want you to look on me with favor. So change my life and help me to serve hurting people now. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this room. If you just prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand to let me know? Christian, I just prayed with you today to become a Christian. I just want you to know it. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Slip your hand up, to, up, up quick and down quick. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our church. And, and many churches I know around the country and around this city are stumbling across Matthew 25 and saying our church needs to make a difference. So help us to join with what those churches are already doing and really put a dent in our city. And Lord, on that day when we stand before you and we're divided, Lord, help us to end up on the right because you've forgiven us, because you've changed us, but because we have proven that by the way we've loved other people. We love you. Thank you for your ministry and our life today. I see things in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Just before we go this morning, uh, let me say this. I'm, I'm going to ask everyone here.